Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, Interweb people. I'm glad you're here. I'm Les Bubka, and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. In today's episode, I have a pleasure to chat with Kieran McDonald from Old Perspectives School of Taekwondo. Um, Kieran published his book on a application of forms, which uh, seems to be sending ripples in the Taekwondo world. Uh, it's in kind of similar situation to a karate where practical karateka um, are not so much accepted in the world of 3K karate. It seems to be that Taekwondo is a few years behind, but uh, uh, it's following karate, um, kind of a similar process. So I focus on that. We focus on uh, talking about the little pe- people who are having a big voices and criticizing Kiran's work. And in general, we had uh, quite a lot of laughs and, and comparing karate and um, taekwondo. I hope you're going to enjoy that. Uh, if you enjoy that, please subscribe, um, share with your friends or social media. I would much appreciate it. Um, spread the news about the podcast. And if you'd like to support, we've got some merchandise and uh, affiliate programs, which all is described in a section below. I hope you're going to enjoy this one, and let's crack on with it. Hello, Kiran. Um, I'm glad that you joined me on my little podcast um, and we can talk about um, your martial art journey, your book, which I think sending ripples in the Taekwondo community. Um, but let's start. How are you today? Uh, I'm very well. Well, I say very well. I've got a bit of a hangover, but um, <clears throat> sorry. Apart from that, I'm doing very well. <laughs> Yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm my kids went to nursery today, so I've got the. I've never been so excited hey. about about cleaning the house. All right, yeah. no, you look pretty clean actually. From from uh, from the, <laughs> that's my daughter's clean room. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's bedroom, so I can hide here because wife's wife's working with the main office, so I I can't use that. Um, you started martial arts in eighties. Interestingly, started in karate, I believe. Yeah, and then but... moved to the uh, taekwondo realms. And could you give us your bio, um, how you started, why you started? Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know what it was like in, in Poland, but over here in the 1970s and 80s, there was like a massive craze of Kung Fu. And everybody wanted to be Bruce Lee. And uh, there was music in the charts by um, Carl, Carl, someone or other, I can't remember, saying, Everybody was Kung Fu yeah. fighting. <laughs> yeah, so like it's a big thing, right? Everybody wanted to be Kung Fu fighting. 
And uh, there was no, you know, we had three TV channels at the time and they didn't show any Kung Fu. So if you wanted to watch it, you had to know someone who had uh, a VHS recorder. And Mm -hmm. um, they they were quite rare at the time. Not everybody had one. I mean, not everybody had a a color TV at at that time. And my dad lived in a a bed sit and the guy above him was a lorry driver and he had acquired, quite I don't know where from, a VHS, which was quite expensive. And he used to bring it down and plug it into my dad's little TV. And he'd bring all these VHS tapes with him. So it must have been knockoff tapes. Um, but they were all from the Hong Kong, food, uh, Hong Kong, Hong Kong movies. So they were, had all the famous stars like uh, Huang Zhang Li, Bruce Lee, uh, Jackie Chan, all those people. And we, as little kids, would watch those films. And so consequently, we got interested in being uh, Kung Fu stars, but there wasn't any Kung Fu, <laughs> ironically enough. We, we couldn't find anywhere to do Kung Fu. So um, my mum took me to this uh, village hall, which was a center for the blind at the time. And uh, it's, it was, you know, a little tiny place. So it, there weren't very big classes. It was kind of a mixture of ages. We were, um, me and my two brothers were know, eight, nine or something like that. and. Um, there were people in their 30s and 40s there kicking lumps out of each other. And uh, we were all bunged into the same uh, dusty building. We went in there and then that was it. Yeah, that was it. They showed us some stuff. We became ninjas immediately. And uh, yeah, we fell in love. We fell in love with it all. As you do. Um, mm. and, and, and then you decided to change to Taekwondo. Why Taekwondo is so much better for you than the karate was? Well, uh, it, it's not really. I mean, I love the karate um, and I learned some fantastic things in karate. I mean, I learned some great stuff in karate when I, when I, I mean, I didn't do it forever, but when I did do it, I learned some really valuable self-defense things that I could take away. So, um, well, you know, as a little kid, I was always getting into fights at school and uh, I wasn't very big. So you'd end up in like a chancery or a headlock quite a lot. And one of the things I learned, you know, walking in the door day one was how to get out of that. So that proved very, very useful a lot of the time. And then there were other things like sweeps and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. all the long range kicks and punches weren't that useful really in the real world, um, you know, when I was at school. But sweeping people, breaking people's balance, escaping from headlocks, those things were fantastic. So I, I love I love karate, but it's just, you know, when you're a kid, it's very difficult to stay motivated and enthusiastic about anything for any length of time. And so eventually, inevitably, we drifted out of martial arts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I didn't stick with karate, because we just drifted out of it. And, uh, you know, and then I tried some other martial arts, tried uh, jujitsu, did bits of judo, did bits of um, uh, aikido, which I didn't get on with. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, you know, we tried a bit and drifted in and out of martial arts for a while, but then it wasn't until I went um, to university again, where I I, um, I basically was smoking a lot of cigarettes. Right? And, you know, I was an addict, a proper addict. You know, some people could take cigarettes, they'll have one, they'll be all right, and then they'll have another one next week. But not me. I was like chain smoking. First thing I do in the morning is get up and have a cigarette. Last thing I do is go, you know, before I go to bed have a cigarette and then brush my teeth or sometimes not even in that order. Mm-hmm. So I was properly addicted to cigarettes, you know? Um, and that's basically because when we were kids, we grew up 
in an in an environment where everybody smoked cigarettes. Mm. We sat in a on a Saturday night. We'd sit in the living room watching TV, and it'd be like a cloud of smoke. You wouldn't be able to see the TV for all the smoke. <laughs> We were breathing that in all the time. So it was inevitable that we got hooked on something. Um, so, I, you know, I was hooked on cigarettes, but I hated it. I hated the addiction and I wanted to kick it. And I tried loads of other things and they'd never worked. So uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll give martial arts a go again. And uh, hopefully that'll be the motivation I need to sort of live a, a healthier life. And it worked. It worked immediately. You know, I was like puffing and panting. I, I was training in London at the time. I was puffing and panting and... Um, you know, uh, couldn't, couldn't make my way around the dojang without, you know, having to rest and lean against the wall and stuff. And, uh, you know, if, if you've ever, if I don't know, do you live in London? No, no, I live in Guildford. Oh, I right. used to work a bit in London, so driving to London and back. So. Okay, so if you ever, if you lived in London for any length of time, or you spend any time there, you know that in the mornings you go up and down the um, escalators. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you wait on the escalators, wait for them to power you of their own accord up and down, takes a very long time. So most people just either leg it down the escalators or run up the stairs that go up mm -hmm. and they're big. I mean, you look, you're talking like hundreds of steps to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, in the first couple of weeks uh, of martial arts, I was exhausted. I couldn't make it up those steps without, you know, being out of breath. But after a while, uh, without the cigarettes and the training, I noticed that I was able to make it up without puffing and panting. And, you know, my respiratory system was kicking in. And then, uh, yeah, I knew I made the right choice. And Taekwondo was just a fluke, really. Mm. I needed a martial art. I needed something on my doorstep because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to travel very far. I was, I was a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the thing on my doorstep was a thing called Freestyle Taekwondo. Freestyle Taekwondo. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was the first one I tried. And then I got hooked and I joined loads of Taekwondo clubs at the same time. I had about three going at the same time on Wednesdays. There weren't, there weren't enough training nights in the week for me. So I was, <laughs> I was attending loads of different ones. But yeah. So is, is at that time um, between the clubs, you could go to any different association or is it was one in the association? Because Karate got this problem. You used to have that problem that you couldn't cross train with other kind of branches. Yeah. Are you being well, hiding and doing it illegally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the same with uh, Taekwondo. There are very few enlightened instructors that say, yes, off you go, little Billy. Train in judo as well. It will really help you Taekwondo. Most mm -hmm. people, you know, they're very protectionist, uh, as they are in karate. Um, they're, there's a lot of insecurity among instructors and associations. And also there's money in it as well, right? I mean, mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's be frank about it. They're earning money. They don't want you to go somewhere else and spend your money somewhere else. They want mm. you to stay within in their little protection of their little shell and spend your money with them. And, and, and that's like basic business. It's not mm. it's not a, an evil thing. <clears throat> but because it's martial arts and because the sensei is uh, in an elevated position of hierarchical power, uh, then there's a sort of uh, power differential, uneven uh, level of power. And you feel that you are betraying your sensei if you go and train somewhere else. So yeah, you just don't tell them. <laughs> That's a secret. You sneak around, don't tell anybody. Uh, but you are cross training. You're doing the BJJ as well actively, or have you done? I've always cross trained. Yeah, I've always cross trained from the from the very beginning. Um, it, even when I got back into uh, Taekwondo, I was doing World Taekwondo. It used to be called WTF, although they changed that uh, to avoid. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I used to do that, and I used to do this freestyle Taekwondo as well. Um, 
and I like the freestyle stuff because it was all uh, the, the guy had a really uh, enlightened attitude to taekwondo. He didn't he taught a very limited syllabus. We didn't do loads of forms. We were hitting and kicking and punching stuff like like you do in taekwondo. But also he was teaching us ground fighting and clinch work and stuff like that. So you know I, from the word go, I, I've always been cross training, and the BJJ thing. I've always loved BJJ. I mean, I was doing Taekwondo and my mate was doing uh, BJJ and we were living together in the same house. So he used to teach me some stuff and I used to take the mickey out of him about him rolling around on the floor with sweaty men in Lycra. Um, and he, he would take the mickey out of me hopping up and down on one leg. But um, yeah, so, you know, I went and trained up there. Um, I trained for a little bit in what was called Anaconda BJJ, which uh, I believe turned into a Gracie Baja um and but you know like take one was my first love so I, I sort of stuck with that and i drifted out of bjj and i got back into it five years ago mm-hmm. but i've been doing it consistently for five years but um yeah but i've also trained um karate again i picked up karate 11 years ago about 11 years ago and uh, started training uh, in Hanshi patrick mccarthy's system of uh, koryo uchinadi mm-hmm. so i gained a black belt in that and um uh, a shadowing teacher's uh, qualification. Mm-hmm. So, so I not only cross train, but I cross teach. So I teach the oh. two arts uh, and incorporate ground fighting and throwing, balance displacement, choking, joint locks, joint manipulation, all that stuff, pressure points. Incorporate that into what I teach. Um, so, when you done your research for your book, because you done a book on application, which we're gonna go in more depth hopefully in a minute. Um, so you've been uh, focusing and merging all your knowledge from the other stuff, or did you focus on uh, pure historical uh, information for the Taekwondo? Because I think Taekwondo uh, is uh, kind of based on, on Shotokan Karate, although I like the, I'm probably not- say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not gonna pronounce it properly, but I like Taekyun. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, that's something magical about, I love how they move and I know it's kind of more, I'm gonna be here, uh, probably showing my uh, lack of knowledge, but it looks like dancing. But I love the techniques and the uh, the flexibility and the movement, especially to the music. Mm. Well, it is dancing, you know, it is dancing. But you know, it's very much like um, what you call it, uh, capoeira or mm-hmm. any of those things that you know that that incorporated a dance element into them. I, I mean, I believe that the capoeira thing was to. Ob- Obfuscate it from their slave masters, which wasn't the same thing in um, Korea. But whenever people have uh, incorporated some kind of dancing into their martial art, made it folkloric, Mm -hmm. often that dance thing is what keeps it alive. Yeah, because Taekyeon is 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 lovely, but it isn't battle ready. So they, you know, you wouldn't be teaching it to your uh, infantry division and saying, right, off you go, then do your Taekyeon, you'll be all right in the front line, (laughs) you know. So, uh, (laughs) but it's part of the Korean uh, culture and history, so they want to keep it. So, you know, turn it all folkloric. But yeah, Um, so I, what I did was for the book is, Uh, it's kind of an open secret within Taekwondo that um, that the major influence of Taekwondo has been Shotokan Karate. So a lot of people say that, um, and it, 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 General Che 
uh, was one of the people that per perpetuated the myth that Taekwondo came from Taekyeon. Mm -hmm. And that was because they wanted to Koreanize everything, uh, just like the Japanese had done um, to karate previously. They had Japanized everything. Mm -hmm. They'd taken all the uh, Chinese influences out. They changed all the names of everything. They removed some of the Chinese-looking moves, removed a lot of reference to China at all. Uh, and then, indeed, changed the name of the art from Way of the Chinese Hand mm -hmm. uh, to uh, Empty Hand, which had the same characters, but um, had a different pronunciation, as you know. And the same thing is true in uh, Korea. After the end of the Second World War, it was not cool to, um, to be... Yeah. Uh, you know, associated with the Japanese. And if you wanted to sell something, you know, your ma major uh, marketing uh, brand was not J Japanese. <laughs> you needed yeah. to get rid of that. After all, the whole Asia, my part of my family is Thai. So, yeah, association with, uh, with Japan is not, not good. Not no. good. It's a bit no. like with uh, Germany and, and, and European countries after the war, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the Japanese did some horrific things, which they, they, yeah. they uh, you know, especially in Korea, they had, uh, they enslaved, you know, hundreds of thousands of women, called them comfort women and systematically raped them. So, um, you know, and, and that didn't just start in the Second World War. They've been uh, attacking Japan and, and subjugate, uh, sorry, Korean and subjugating it for about 400 years. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, so, it, it, you know, but unfortunately, what happened was all the top guys in the martial arts industry had learned Japanese karate from the Japanese and mm -hmm. some of them continued to practice it under uh, the name Korean karate some of them continued to practice it under the um, Korean name Tang Su Do mm -hmm. which basically means Tang is um, uh, the name for the Chinese um, dynasty, isn't it? dynasty that's right yeah so um, Exactly. So Tang Su Do literally means way of the Chinese hand, exactly like karate did before, but just in Korean. So some of them carried on doing that. But then there was a general movement to turn everything Korean. So um, General Che, who is a, a fantastic uh, brinksman, pulled everybody together and said, look, you know, famously in a meeting, said "Look, we're going to sit down. We're going to create this new martial art from what we've got um, and we're going to call it... Um, I can't remember what it was he, he wanted to call it, but uh, we wanted to call it Taekwondo, but um, the guy, the right-wing leader, a right-wing dictator at the time, uh, Sing Man Ri, he had got it into his head that the martial art was taking on. So, yeah. and he couldn't get that out of his head and nobody wanted to upset him. So if you, if you wanted to get it past him, yeah. you, you had to use that name. So they kind of tinkered with it a little bit. So it sounded like taking on, mm -hmm. so they could get that past him. Um, but yeah, but even still today, you know, knowing that history, most of that history I learned um, by reading around in uh, Eric, um, Eric Badis, is it? And uh, Alex Gillis and people like that. But even today, after those uh, landmark books were published, people don't want to admit it. They simply don't want to admit that most of our stuff came from Shotokan. Mm. It is the thing in karate as well, that there's some things people... Even if you educate them, they just don't want to let 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 go. Isn't it? It's like a sacred stuff. No, that's what I've been told. My sensei said it must be true. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Um, like throwing, isn't it? You know, like uh, if you try and tell people that 
the uh, karate has throws, you know, um, mm -hmm. until, I don't know, the last 10 years, uh, you know, there's been a kind of movement towards uh, the acceptance of bunkai and the acceptance of reverse engineering kata mm -hmm. and move away from the block kick punch uh, mentality. But even still, there are still dojos all over the world that refuse to admit yeah. that there's any throwing in karate. Yeah, I, <laughs> despite I the fact you. that you know, despite the fact Funakoshi published a book with famously with nine throws in it. Yeah, that, that's crazy. You know, Funakoshi, the creator of the style, uh, been changing stuff, and yet their lineage say, "Oh, don't change anything. You cannot change anything." You know, preserving as it is, it, it's just crazy. But that's the rabbit ra whole rabbit hole in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, changing something a little bit, we come back to your book in a second. Um, I'm really interested. You said that uh, your health was uh, impacted by martial arts for uh, uh, benefit of it. Um, how about your mental health? Is there a thing that uh, martial arts help you with uh, mental health or they still still are? Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, as a student, I think uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for going into a dojo or dojang and just surrendering and becoming a kind of um not not not, not on a, an automaton or anything but uh just surrendering to a higher power you know um because we live in a very individualistic society where you know everybody's an equal in our society mm. and that's great but um it's not it's not <laughs> it's not um People, not everybody suits that mentality. So, like a friend of mine was a dog trainer one time. Um, he's a, a, he's also a taekwondo instructor, a very good taekwondo instructor. But he was a, a dog trainer. He trained uh, attack dogs for the army, and he said that um, a lot of people's problems with their dogs is that they're asking, um, they're, they're imposing roles on the dogs that the dog doesn't want to do. So, for, so for example, there's the there's a hierarchical system within a pack of dogs. One dog will be the alpha. Mm -hmm. um, if your dog is not an alpha, then forcing them to go into a role where they are the leader makes that dog anxious all the mm -hmm. time, and they behave in strange ways. And you, you take them to the dog trainer. The dog trainer will try and you know iron out what they're doing, but the fundamental problem that they're not addressing is the fact that because of your relationship with the dog you are deferring power to the dog and forcing that dog to become the leader of the pack. Mm -hmm. The dog doesn't want that. And it's the same with martial arts. I think a lot of people, we live in an individualistic society where everybody is an individual and, and can be the champion of their own industry. And that doesn't, that doesn't suit everybody. Some mm -hmm. people like to be told what to do. And some people, you know, some people pay, pay a lot of money for that in private. Mm -hmm. But, but some, you know, some people like to be told what to do and some people just like to surrender every now and again um, and be told what to do for an hour once a week. And other people don't like it, but it's good for their soul. And mm -hmm. I think I'm one of those people, you know, I don't like what, to be told what to do at all. But regularly being told what to do by somebody is good for me. Mm -hmm. I know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and all the, I mean, there are other aspects of mental health, I think, that are very valuable within martial arts. The, the di having to be disciplined and maintain a certain degree of, um, you know, um, like regularity and standards within your life and, and comport. I think that's very important as well. You know, you have to wear a clean uniform. It has to be pressed. You have to behave in a certain way. 
Um, you know, like, say, for example, I got a friend who was a petty criminal, a drug drug addict mm-hmm. and a petty criminal. He was in and out of prison all the time and he was a violent offender and he looked like he was going to do some serious jail time. Um, and he started martial arts in between his last prison sentence and his next uh, court hearing. He started mm-hmm. Taekwondo uh, with me. Um, and he, he, he's he's very open about this. He's done podcasts on it himself, so he won't mind me talking about it. And he basically um, found within martial arts what I was talking about, that structure, that being told what to do, that uh, you like the army, you know. Mm-hmm. There's not, if you're in the army, you've got to get up and you've got to tidy your bunk and you've got to press your trousers and you've got to make sure your stuff goes in your locker. None of that's important when you're fighting and killing people. Mm. But it is important for the mentality of the soldier. And it is important that they get everything, you know, because that's the life they're building. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with martial arts. And he he grabbed that with both hands at that new life and basically turned his, turned his life around completely. He, he's a completely different person, vegan, um, you know, he's an uh, inspirational talker, um, you know, he, he runs his own martial arts business and school. Uh, he has a really positive influence on all the people he's around. He's moderated his behavior, doesn't do drugs, doesn't do anything like that anymore. He's a great model of the community now. And all that came from uh, martial arts. All that came from having a role model, which he didn't have before, a role model within martial arts, uh, something to aspire to. That's so, challenging, yeah. uh, ch- channeling energy as well, I suppose, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great, great example. All right, let's get to uh, promoting your book a little bit. Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, so why did you um, want to write? Uh, what was the reasoning for the writing the applications <laughs> and um, to the forms of Taekwondo? Well, let, let, let me start by saying that the forms of Taekwondo were in my book. In fact, the first thing I did was I wrote an article um, and I wanted to find out where they all came from. I suspected that they came from karate. So I mapped them onto the Shotokan Kata. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was about, about 70% of the templates, templates being two or three moves together, mm-hmm. 70% of the templates come directly from Shotokan Kata, mostly from the Hian Pinan series, mm-hmm. uh, Basai, MP, Gion, um, a few Techie. others like that. Yeah, Teki, a lot from Teki, a lot from Teki. Uh, Teki Shodan, Teki Nidan. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there from that. Less so from, you know, just from Naihanshi, but uh, from the, from the Teki series, yeah. So, yeah, so I discovered that they all came from the Shotokan Kata, uh, which was good because then it, all it meant is if I wanted to understand what the moves were, then all I had to do was find out what they meant in karate and then bring that back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but basically, when I became a black belt uh, in, in Taekwondo, which, you know, it took me six years because I did a bit of traveling and joined a few other organizations, but um, generally takes about three and three quarter years to four years of uh, constant training. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't do applications in Taekwondo. I mean, there are some enlightened instructors out there that do, but the vast majority of us don't do that. We use the 3K system of karate. Kihon, Kata, and Kumite, or we could call it line work, uh, sparring, 
and uh, I'm explaining kata and patterns. That's it. Yeah, patterns. We call kata patterns, right? Yeah. So that's basically the basis of uh, most taekwondo schools. So you don't do any application work, but you accumulate a lot of kata or a lot of patterns. So by the time you get to black belt, you know nine. You also know uh, maybe two or three training kata, like the um, like the taekwon series. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Shotokan, uh, I believe there's about six of those, um, which were introduced at a later date. So, uh, so you know what, two or three of those as well. So you've got like 11 kata, right? But you don't know what any of them mean. Now, I, <laughs> I lived under the impression that one day I would seek enlightenment like the Buddha and it would all be revealed to me <laughs> when, when I got to Black Belt. So I honestly believed that when I got to Black Belt, someone would tell me what it all was. Mm-hmm. It didn't. <laughs> and I waited, and they still didn't. And because of the hierarchical system, I didn't want to go to my instructor and say, sir, please can you tell me what this mm-hmm. stuff actually means, <laughs> rather than the things that, you know, that I've been learning in line work or in set spine, which most of the set spine is complete gibberish. So, um, yeah, nobody did. So I was left with the... Um, you know, some people are all right with that. They, they don't mind that. That's not why they come to uh, karate or taekwondo. They come to get a sweat on, be with their friends, you know, a bit of introspection. Some people just like making the, the, the kata look beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. That wasn't for me. I've got that kind of inquiry mind and I have to understand stuff. And uh, so I had to have the answers. So I went on a little journey to try and find out what they were. And first I mapped them onto karate. I knew they came from karate. So then it was obvious that I had to find a karate instructor that could teach me what they were. So I spent a lot of time trying to find one and it was very disappointing uh, to say the very least <laughs> because uh, karate, a lot of karate instructors I rub shoulders with were doing the same thing. They were teaching the yeah. same three-step sparring as an application to kata practices, which I just thought, you know, I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. So I did a lot of internet uh, research on YouTube and stuff like that, get little bits here, little bits there. Uh, found some pressure point uh, courses to take, found some Chinese march, martial arts to dabble in, did some classical jiu-jitsu. Um, but it wasn't until I hit, um, firstly, I hit Ian Abernethy, mm-hmm. and, I, and he uh, really turned, turned my head, spun my head around, you know. I, you know, uh, I love what he does. I have my own take on a lot of the things he does, mm-hmm. but I love what he does. I love his energy. He is a, a brilliant martial artist and a brilliant practitioner and spending time at his seminars was one of the best things I ever did. It was just, it was enlightening. Um, and I had, I was so serious about it. He lives in um, Cumbria, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, like five, six hours drive from here. So I did drive up there and train with him once um, when my mum lived up there. And I was seriously thinking of, you know, selling up and moving up there just so I could learn this stuff. Uh, but it wasn't, feasible uh and then i stumbled across patrick mccarthy's stuff and i love even ian ebenethy stuff he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant but there is no one in the world like patrick mccarthy no one he he literally is the best and i've done a lot of looking around um all of his stuff makes perfect sense you, you don't question, you don't look at it and you don't, I mean, there's a lot of bunkai practitioners out there that stand in a room and try and figure out stuff, you know, um, you know, what could this be for? What could that be for? And I, I, I like that approach. That's what, that's the bunkai approach. That's not McCarthy's approach. McCarthy's approach is 
go and find out what it actually is by studying the ancient Chinese forms and books and um, martial arts and bring it back to karate and then turn it into two-person um, application practices and drills. So uh, that, I mean, one of the other things about uh, bunkai practices is a lot of people, you know, a lot of people will learn bunkai, they'll bring it back in, say they'll do a wrist lock or an arm lock or something, you know, that, that can get a bit tiresome after a while. But uh, the thing about McCarthy was he dra he drafted all his um, techniques and, and transformed them into uh, interactional two-person flow drills. So you not only learn the techniques, but you quite often learn the escapes from the techniques and then the counters to those escapes. So, you know, he's, an, he's just a genius. The man's a genius. Um, but, you know, he'd done all the heavy lifting for me. When I learned his system, I had then found most of the applications uh, for the Taekwondo Kata. Most mm -hmm. of them. You know, a lot, a lot of the rest of them I learned from classical jiu-jitsu and uh some of them from bjj as well uh, bjj's really tightened up my um strangulation and, and joint locking really tightened up because it's pressure tested all the time yeah um, but yeah you know mccarthy is the man without doubt <laughs> he's the man yeah well in, in karate is well known everybody's uh, uh copying or taking something from him so including mm. myself um how long did it take you to actually um put the book because it's well, it's over 200 pages yes. or 300 pages with colorful pictures. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I yeah. think that's that is a very big challenge. I think you've been lucky doing it just before COVID hit, isn't it? So a year, yeah. year or so before, because now doing anything with a partner is just like impossible. To... <laughs> yeah, what's that? It's like a thing of the past, isn't it? Yeah. You know, cool. Yeah, it took it took me Well, I wrote the article in 2011. So and then I basically took the article that I'd written, which was called the Okinawan elephant in the room uh, in, in reference to elephant in the room being something huge that no one wants to talk about, mm -hmm. but it's in the way. Right. And Okinawan elephant, because the relationship of uh, Japanese karate, not even Okinawan karate, but Japanese karate, relationship with Japanese karate and Taekwondo is indisputable, but no one wants to talk about it. So I wrote that article, which was the historical perspective. And that basically justified me doing the applications. I, I'd set up, um, by writing that, I'd set up a premise from which I could then uh, explore the applications. I said, look, this is where it came from. These, these are the patterns and these are the kata. You compare the two. These are the kata that the moves come from, that the, the templates come from. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, this is the history. These are the bits of karate that have been lost over time. These are the reasons they were lost over time. And this happened before it came into Taekwondo. So we just inherited what um, Bruce Lee referred to as the classical mess. We inherited that mess from the mm -hmm. Japanese. Um, and once you establish all that, then looking into the application for the patterns is not heresy. What we're doing is looking into what was lost to the Japanese after the karate hit mainland Japan in the 1920s. So, uh, so I'd set up that premise, and then um, yeah, and then the rest of it was relatively easy to do because um, uh, initially I was going to do uh, a number of chapters on the various different elements of um, martial arts, so blocking. Uh, attacking blocking, attacking the uh, joint locks and strangulation, um, attacking 
uh, balanced displacement and having a chapter for each. But it soon became apparent that once you stick the photos in, that's, that's an awful lot of pages. <laughs> so I limited it just to two chapters, which was um, uh, describing what blocking is, because mm -hmm. as you know, uh, with your background in, in uh, Krati, the word uke. Um, yeah, it's very misunderstood. <laughs> misunderstood, yeah, exactly. So that needs a lot of explaining to uh, Taekwondo people because they don't fully understand that. Um, so once you do that, then you end up with a whole chapter on blocks, which mm -hmm. are suddenly the blocks of strangulations or the blocks of mm -hmm. joint locks or the blocks of takedowns, and you know. So yeah, that's what I did. But I'm I'm on the second book now. Actually, I'm, I've just yeah, started I've, that. I've seen, I've seen your posts. We gotta talk <laughs> about it as well. Um, but going back to your book, I uh, seeing you because I'm following you uh, on the on the Facebook and and stuff. Um, not everybody is happy with your book. You sent some ripples, isn't it? You're getting a bit of a grief from people. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? If 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 you explain to people that uh, there's more to take one day than than they realize, and they're not teaching it, and they're instructors. You're undermining everything they've built their, um, you know, foundations on. You, you, you're telling them that. I mean, in my dojang, I don't teach set sparring. I don't mm -hmm. teach set, set sparring uh, until there's a grading because I'm part of an association and they want that in my taekwondo. So a couple of days before the grading, I teach people it, so it's in their head, mm -hmm. and they'll go into the grading, they'll perform it, and it'd be really bad. But they'll get they'll scrape through the grading on that, and they'll excel at the other things. Mm -hmm. because I'm not spending time on it because it's nonsense. But a lot of people are wedded to the idea that the applications of the patterns can be trained successfully in set sparring, which mm -hmm. you and I know is just nonsense. You mm -hmm. can't train uh, joint locks or strangulations in set sparring. You mm -hmm. can't start violence from that distance and heavily ritualize it with bows and stuff and expect people to be able to defend themselves in real life. It's just nonsense. Yeah. So um, my, my take is that's, that, that stuff there, that set sparring, we inherited from the Japanese karate and the Japanese made it up. They, mm -hmm. It didn't exist in Okinawan pre-war karate. That's a fact, yeah. all right? So, and the reason was it was, no, it was useless to train the, the kata, so they didn't have it. It was based on... Um, the kendo mentality of attacking with a single yeah. blow, you know, from great distance. So they basically just took that model of attack from kendo and they drafted it into karate. Well, you fitted, now, what, fitted their agenda, isn't it? Exactly. But once you understand that, once you understand that it's not part of the great Korean heritage of martial arts, you can just get rid of it. <laughs> so that's my thing. Just get rid of that and bring in mm -hmm. other stuff. We've got much more useful stuff that we can bring in. And uh, people don't want to hear that. You would be surprised. I've got people who are big fans of my work and they love what I do. But you try talking to them about removing set sparring from the syllabus. <laughs> oh, my God, they want to burn me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm causing waves. <laughs> hey, you got to, you know, as I say, um, you know, uh, McCarthy is always quoting, um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, head of the... Uh, an eminent scientist who once said, um, Newton, that was it. He said, uh, you know, if I see much further than everybody else, it's merely because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, exactly. And that's basically what I'm doing. I'm standing on the shoulders of McCarthy. McCarthy's done all the hard work. 
McCarthy's been through all the vitriol and people spitting and calling him all sorts of names and, you know, denigrating his character and his honour and stuff. He did all that. That was hard. He did that through the 80s and the 90s, you know, and people hated him. And consequently, I don't have to do that so much because he's already done that, you know. And, and we're now in a place, if it wasn't for McCarthy, for example, there'd be no Vince Morris. There'd be no Ibn Abernethy. You know, there, there, there'd be no um, any of these Bunkai masters because they all come, their lineage is all through him. He, he's the one that did all the heavy lifting. And consequently, I'm just another one. I'm, I'm just the next generation, you know, but doing it in Taekwondo. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's funny how people um getting upset by work of others i feel uh, often that it's just kind of jealous pure jealousy you know you you had the courage to actually step out from the line do something your own and present it to people and people getting by oh no you now you you're too confident you're too cocky um you shouldn't be doing that you overstepping the line do you got the mm. same same feeling at least that's yeah. how it feels for me in, in, in karate world. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. But you know, ironically enough, it's it's not the uh, masters and grandmasters so much that have been down on my stuff. It's the nobodies. It's mm. the white belts. You know, it's the uh, Billy Big Bollocks and his, uh, he has his own dojo, king of the dojo, you know. Uh, he's got 12 students and he's, he's the king of those and they hang on his every word. That sort of people that uh, I've actually got. One of the things I did when I when I when I published the book, I wanted to find out how people would feel about it. So I sent free copies to grandmasters and masters, uh, mostly in the UK, but also in America and uh, around Europe. And I got uh, glowing reviews from most of them. I got 10 out of 10 from some grandmasters. Um, I got some fantastic reviews that I'm going to put in my second book. I, I I quite, there's some there's on my um facebook page on my website and stuff you know long list of masters and grandmasters saying wow this is great this is great i expect a huge resistance from them didn't get it it's the people who are the nobodies that want to shout the loudest uh, unfortunately mm. and the people who have not made something for themselves don't want to drag them down they want to drag people down it's like uh you know when i i was a bit worried when i first started this that uh um, there's a, there's another guy within Taekwondo, a guy called Stuart Unslow. He he's he's quite groundbreaking as well. He's very groundbreaking. He he was the first one to get a, a applications book out in Taekwondo, um, and you know, and he's he's the editor of a uh, martial arts magazine. So um, I wanted him involved in my project when I first started, and I was a bit worried that he he was going to see me as a challenge and not want to help me. Uh, that was my mentality. That was that, it was just a kind of broken mentality. I was being kind of protectionist. But um, someone told me that um, I did a marketing course and they told me, no, actually, reach out to people because successful people will want to help you. They want to bring you up. You know, mm -hmm. it's only people who are lower than you that will drag you down. They will want to pull you down to their level. Successful people will want to help you and elevate you, you know, and share in the success. And he was brilliant. That's exactly what he did. I asked him, he helped me, published my articles, wrote a foreword. He's been very complimentary about stuff I did, you know, and that's what I've experienced. There's lots of people who haven't achieved very much themselves want to pull you down. 
Yeah, I, I, had the, I had the exactly same thing with Ian. So when I started, I moved to UK, I was kind of hesitant to ask for help and, and have a mentoring. Um, and, and I was completely wrong. Same like you, Ian, you know, went uh, a mile ahead of me and, and promoting what I do and helping every time he can, he still helps. So it is, but uh, we've got a saying in Polish, which kind of reflects on what we've been talking that um, if your neighbor in my shed burned, I'm happy that my neighbor's shed burned as well because he's not better <laughs> off than I am. <laughs> so I think that's what it is, you know. It doesn't matter. I've got bad, but my neighbor have to have it worse. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, British uh, British people that that's a very British sentiment as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very British sentiment. Yeah. We don't like people that get in Britain. We don't like people that get too big for their boots, you know. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you saw my podcast. Sorry, you saw my um post yesterday, my Facebook yeah. post yesterday about um uh the bear hug did you see that yeah yeah yeah. i've seen it yeah yeah that was that was prompted by the same so um you know for your listeners who haven't seen this i i basically i've been leaking bits of uh online courses because i also do um video courses application video courses and a lot of those i've turned into two-person flow drills which is very new for taekwondo it's not so new for karate anymore but very very new in taekwondo taekwondo people don't really know what they're looking at so mm -hmm. it's it's had sort of kind of mixed mixed reviews but i've been leaking bits of it so one of the things i leaked was uh, an escape from a bear hug using a pressure point attack mm -hmm. all right now i'm not saying that this is how you should escape a bear hug what i'm saying is at the end of karate taekwondo pattern chung jang which is a second a black belt second degree pattern this is how they do it this is how it's done in that pattern so people don't know how to apply any of the moves i'm teaching them how to do it I'm giving them free instruction. I'm giving them a free video. What do they do? They just complain. I mean, so a lot of people like it, but there's so many complainers are like, that's not how you escape from a bear hug. No one would ever bear hug you like that. That's too vicious. That's not vicious enough. Uh, I just poke them in the eye. I punch them in the face. I'd never let anybody bear hug me. I just loads and loads and loads of just, you know, armchair warriors telling me how mm. I don't know what I'm talking about. And, um, I've got one. Yes, I, I, as I say to, as I said in the in the um, Facebook page, I tr I go and research these people. I go and find out who they are. I go onto their Facebook page. I scroll down. There's always a page of them, a picture of them being awarded their blue belt in judo or BJJ or something like that. Right, last year. So uh, so I know. You know, having having acquired a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu myself a few years ago. I know how much they know about martial arts. So, you know, as I say, like if um, uh, if uh, Russell Jarmusty, who's like a you know like a, a a real serious dude, or Jeff Thompson, if they contact me and they say, Kieran, uh, you you don't want to be teaching that, then I'm all ears. I'm listening because mm -hmm. those guys they've tried it. They've ex they've ex they've used this stuff in real life. I'm listening. But if, uh, if you know, if you've just got a blue belt in BJJ, I don't care what you've got to say. You, you know, unless you are a doorman or something and you do this all the time, I don't care what you've got to say. You, you, you should really, you know, stop shouting that loudly. Mm. It's always the people who don't have anything to say that shout the loudest and try and drag you down. I, I like the uh, the comment you put that you only showing the application. You don't refer any to uh, a street or, or competition. You're just showing what it is. And I think that's what the people 
always lack of understand that sometimes on the videos, because it happened to me as well a few times, you're showing the idealized version of the movement so people can actually see what you're showing. Yeah. If you do it how it looks like, nobody knows what happens. <laughs> That's very true, yeah. Because it's getting that balance, isn't it? It's getting yeah. that balance. It's hard. Because I put, I put out a few videos in the past where I've been doing a completely idealized version. So it looks very much like set spa and you go, and uh, people are like, what? That, that'll never work. And then I do the um, realistic version and people are like, what the hell's that? I don't know what that is. I, you know, yeah, exactly. To get in the balance is crazy. Um, I'm going to uh, post, put uh, for everybody who's listening, um, uh, links to your uh, a book, a courses, the online courses, and everything going to be in there. Could you tell us something about your uh, future projects? You said you mentioned the, the second book. What that's going to be all about? Is it going to be continuation of the first one or something completely different? No, uh, it's going to be continuation of the first one. Um, basically, I mean, I've got like... Once you put the photos in a book, there's there are a lot of pages. Um, so, and I, I like writing. I can't, I have an academic background. I, I have trained as an academic, and so uh, I like writing. It's something as a, as a form of expression that I enjoy uh, doing. So, I'm gonna, you know, ironically enough, I've got all this time at the moment during uh, lockdown, but, but I'm homeschooling my children, so I'm finding it very difficult to um, sit down and yeah. do any writing. I, I find it very frustrating that people tell you that, you know, you've got all this time. Yeah, I've got two little kids. I have maybe an hour in the evening to do something. Absolutely. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. You know, I've got more time. When I'm working full time and I'm out every day teaching in a dojang, I've got mm -hmm. more time to write than I have now. It's just yeah. nuts. But yeah, so I'm starting that as a project. Basically, there's there's a whole treasure trove of stuff that um you know uh chinese influenced kung fu um and old school karate have that taekwondo don't have um and you know after researching it and uh studying mccarthy's system i have acquired such a huge wealth of knowledge not to sound big-headed but um i have got a lot of knowledge that I, could, I think would benefit the Taekwondo world. I think it would really help them. So that's what the second book is about. So I'm going to be looking at um, joint locking, how to apply joint locking, why joint locking works, what situations to use it in, what situations not to use it in, and, and where, it, where it sits in our forms and patterns again. Um, and then all the principles that underline that. And also, <clears throat> one of the things I'm working on is I'm trying to find a, a unified strategy uh, within the kata. Mm -hmm. because um, um, I, I, I listened to a, um, a podcast, Joe Rogan podcast with mm -hmm. John Danaher talking about, it was very funny actually, because Joe Rogan being a black belt in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he knows a thing or two about martial arts, you know. But what, he used to be taekwondo guy, isn't he? He did, yeah, he did, he yeah. He was quite good in it. He was very good, yeah. And so when he starts talking about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, th he knows what he's talking about. Mm. But then her just tore him, to, tore him to bits. He'd ask him these uh, rhetorical questions and uh, Reagan would give an answer. And then he'd say, no, that's wrong. Every Everyone. But basically what was funny about it was then uh, her came up with a strategy for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So this is why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu works as an art. Mm -hmm. These are the principles behind it, the things it does. So, for example, it negates people's strength. If you're a big opponent and I'm a small person, if I stand up, you're going to kill me. 
if I can drag you down to the floor, you don't have gravity on your side any longer. So it negates a lot of your strength. So you say that's in one of your number one principles, right? Number two, movement and control. And he listed all these things within Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I thought, wow, that's a great way of looking at the art. Mm -hmm. And if you look at a lot of the kata, um, a lot of the kata have uh, repeated uh, sequences that are very common throughout all of them. So, uh, say for example, grabbing wrists and pulling, using using of the hikite, right? Oh no, it's for power generation. <laughs> so you can see that there are unified principles within the art that that are common to all the kata, and so consequently, common principles that underlie um, the applications of uh, of the kata or the patterns. So that's what basically what I'm going to try and do is uh, establish some principles and say look these are what these these chinese dudes years ago when they envisaged being attacked by people uh, on their way to market steal their uh, money this is what they thought would work right and so uh, yeah so that's one of the things i'm going to do um could you let us know where to find you where people if they want to um, get better in taekwondo and have some um, applications and stuff where should they look for you well, you can uh, find me on Facebook at um, my name's Kieran McDonald or Old School Perspectives on Taekwondo. You can find that on uh, my, my website, ospperspectives.co.uk or um, on Facebook. I think it's called Old School, Old School Perspectives on Facebook. I like that you don't even know that. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> well, hey, it's like your telephone number, isn't it? You know, yeah. people don't know their own telephone number. Yeah, I, you know, I had a big plan. I've um, I've created a lot of uh, courses, online courses, um, that I was going to be delivering in seminars uh, mm -hmm. up and down the country in 2020 and mm -hmm. 2021. Well, hey, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, does it? <laughs> yeah, it's very detrimental. I had a few seminars booked as well in Germany, Poland and Greece, and it just... Not this year... <laughs> Maybe what not next you? year. I don't know. I don't know. It's oh, crazy. God knows. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, so I'm going to flog, keep flogging uh, the dead horse, uh, creating online courses for people. And uh, when I say online courses, what I mean is, of course, is video tutorial courses, uh, exploring mm -hmm. the applications of the patterns and crafting them into drills so that people can study them and practice them at home in a safe way. So, yeah, I'm going to keep flogging that, I think, for the next year. <laughs> and cross my fingers that we're all going to become vaccinated. Yeah, let's hope so. It's it's really. I how do you finding the creating courses online? Do you find it is quite easy for you, or stuff? I'm dreading it. I'm I'm useless with online stuff. I don't have a space, to, access to Dojo to film stuff, so I'm just sticking to writing my books and uh, doing a short clips on on YouTube when I'm feel like I'm in the mood to talk. Yeah, what I do is I I spend this sort of downtime thinking about it all. So I, I, I write all the, I already know what the applications are anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't have to do, I don't have to like train them or anything. So I, I look at the applications and, you know, my big thing, my takeaway from uh, Hanshi Patrick McCarthy is the two-person drills. I mm -hmm. think that's the way forward of training. And I know even now uh, Ian Abernathy has now incorporated that into what he does as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm on the right course with that. And I know that Taekwondo people don't really recognize it at the moment. If I po post a two-person drill, 
on uh, Facebook, for example, Taekwondo people don't, they're not very complimentary about it because mm -hmm. they don't know what they're seeing. If I po post the application and an explanation of what it is instead, mm -hmm. they're very complimentary about it. So, uh, but I'm going to keep banging that because I think that is definitely the way forward. Um, I, th I think you, you see that it works from, from the karate perspective because the last 10, 15 years, thanks to Ian, uh, Patrick and a growing movement, I, I see in karate that that practical side is is starting to boom now. Mm. So I, I think the same will be with Taekwondo. It just, you know, needs a person like you to um, keep pushing it. It has to, doesn't it? It has to, because um, basically what happens to your art is it becomes a sport. Mm. Uh, and then sports are like, uh, you know, whimsical. They come in fashion, they go out of fashion. Uh, taekwondo was very popular in the 1990s mm. uh, and young young men you know as was karate and young men would go and they would fight and they would prove their metal in the in the ring and take chunks out of each other they're not doing that anymore they're going they're doing other arts now because mma is fashionable now mm -hmm. and so taekwondo is changing uh, its demographic it's now mostly children uh, and there aren't young men going or young women so much either going into it anymore in fact when people become young men and young women they tend to drop out go to university get a job have a family that sort of thing and stop but certainly the the, the number of adults joining is, is rapidly shrinking in mm. favor of bjj mma even krav maga stuff like that you know that's mm. very good they're, they're all very good at um marketing and stuff yeah uh, so the arts the art is just basically gonna go sports side and which it already is on and and uh, if you want self-protection if you want to really be able to you know defend yourself and your family people are going to go elsewhere unless mm. we address that mm. so, so yeah same, same with karate same with karate exactly but you know so it, people like you and i are trying to help the art you mm. know yeah. we're trying to keep it alive by by trying to drag back into it what was originally there before people decided that it wasn't there yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. I think the 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 taekwondo got the benefit over karate that it's still an Olympic sport and it's got that financial backing from the you know um, the Olympic and it's you can see it in TV as mm. something big. Um, karate still cannot do anything about it, and you know although it's in the, meant to be in this Olympic, but it's gonna be only one year only and it's gonna be kicked out. So yeah, it's an exhibition, isn't it? Yeah, so no well, you know that is a positive, but it's also a negative because uh, the sport of um, uh, I I come from an ITF background rather than a WT background, so uh, we don't have the same sport. We have hand techniques. Uh, we're allowed to punch and kick uh, to the head, um, where they're not allowed to uh, punch to the head in WT, and so and they're heavily armored, so they don't punch to the chest mm. very much either because they're going to break in their wrist. Uh, so it's all kicking, pretty much all kicking. But the sport, the sport is incredible. If you see it, um, see some, two really good exponents of it, that it's incredible to watch. They're fantastic. Mm. I mean, absolutely fantastic athletes. But if you watch it at Olympic level, it is terrible. <laughs> absolutely terrible. It's so boring that, uh, that they had to bring in a rule of inactivity. So mm. if, if you don't do anything for more than, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds or whatever, then you get a yellow card and there's points deducted from you. Because literally the athletes were leaping up and down, then they'd flinch a bit and they'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that was it. They do nothing for like three minutes. <laughs> it was, it's just terrible. I mean, it, was, it is, it has been a reduced to, you know, it's the same with the, all athletes. When athletes are um, competing against athletes of the same sport, of the same level, they begin to know it, what the other guy is going to do. Then it it begins to negate, uh, cancel out everything. It's not and more of a waiting game, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, karate is going the same way with their sports. They're now introducing weird, like, uh, scorpion kicks and things like that, mm. that, that uh, the karate world simply do not like, you know. Mm. They're like the old days where all karate guys had a broken nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they've all been hit with a reverse punch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, both taekwondo and 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 karate gonna find uh, new ways of um, getting more students, and we go all gonna flourish after the no uh, lockdown. That's a uh, back to karate and <laughs> after the lockdown. <laughs> lockdown. Um, and I hope that uh, that it's gonna be more people looking for activities, and we're gonna have a uh, growing amount of people joining the clubs. Mm, I hope so too, because there are benefits from traditional martial arts that you simply don't get from MMA mm. and uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I love the informality of it, but the formality and the etiquette of uh, karate and taekwondo is one of the things that a lot of people join for. They like it, mm. you know, yeah. and you, the spiritual and ph philosophical side of it that you get from it and the introspection, you don't get that from uh, MMA and BJJ. It's a different environment altogether. So yeah, there's a lot to be said for traditional martial arts, and I, I, I you know, I hope it carries on. Yeah, let's hope that. Right, Kieran, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet you in in a kind of virtual reality. Hopefully, we can meet uh, meet up when you're gonna be start back to teaching and compare some karate and uh, your taekwondo. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, I'm gonna post all the uh, details and and your book. Uh, in the uh, description below so people can check out and, and buy buy the book um, yeah I hope you enjoyed it as well thank you very much it was a pleasure talking to you Les. Cool. take care bye 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 bye